Our sermon today is from Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Now look at Jesus' gracious words. Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. There we go. They read in Jesus' name. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And, he said, and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to the widow, or to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, strive to apply it to our lives, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you work in us. Lord, and that you desire to work in us and through us into this world. Lord, that, that you might be glorified. Father, now glorify your name in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Back in this day and age, when Jesus was doing this in the synagogues, it was the preacher that sat down and all the people stood. They switched that around to make the sermon shorter. No. <laughs> um, so as, as we get into this, I know last week I, I touched on parts of this, but I wanted to, to cover this because there's so much going on in this story and there's, there's so many parts and there's so many pieces here for us, you know, because all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And so as as Jesus is giving us these, well, as Jesus is in the town of Nazareth giving them these gracious words, these words of grace, these are, these are for us. Like, this story is written for us. This story is written that, that we might know, that we might see. Because why did Jesus come? And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim 
the year of the Lord's favor. Who is the gospel for? Is the gospel for those who've got it all together? Is the gospel for those who've got it all figured out? No. You know, what's Jesus? Who is Jesus coming for? He is coming for those who are poor, spiritually poor. You know, this isn't just speaking about physical poorness, so I don't have a lot of money, sort of poorness. But rather, this is, a, this is the spiritual reality. This is what Jesus talks about on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, the one who doesn't approach God and say, hey God, you owe me something. I've got this leverage on you. That's someone that's spiritually poor. God, I need you. Someone who is captive. What does it mean to be captive? It isn't just in jail, but to, be, to have sin control you. That's who Jesus came to, to set liberty to those who are captive. Captive in their sin, captive to the evil one. That he has blinded their eyes. This is who the gospel is for. The gospel is for those who are blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. Blinded not physically, but blinded spiritually. They can't see. They don't understand. How many of you have ever said that? Like, why don't they just, why don't they understand? How can they not see the truth right in front of them? How can they not see that, you know, this hasn't worked ever, that it never works? How can they not see? I've said those things. You know, the problem is they can't see. They're blind. That's who the gospel's for. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Kevin, you're ahead of me. You're ahead of me. We, we will, I promise. We'll get to that. And so, um, I guess I looked at it and they seemed like it was everybody was in favor and thought it was moving on. And okay, maybe they kicked them out. Yeah. You know why they kicked them out? Because the gospel wasn't for them. You know, because this question who am I? They weren't able to answer that question. They didn't want to answer that question. This gospel, this is, is this for me? Because if the gospel's for me, which brings me to my next subpoint, if the gospel's for me, do you know what that means? I'm spiritually poor. God doesn't owe me anything. I have nothing. I have nothing to bring to God. I have, I have nothing to stand on. I have nothing that I can say, God, look at the good things that you've done. Look at the good, or not the good things you've done. Look at the good things that I have done. Look at what I have earned. Look what I have made. Look what I have saved. Look what I possess. Can I come to God and say, hey God, but look at my good works. No. Hey God, look at the nice things that I've done. Hey God, look what I've sacrificed for you. Hey God, No, because that would be some sort of leverage because that's what wealth is, right? Wealth is leverage. Wealth is a way by which I protect myself. If the gospel's for me, that means I'm poor. Am I willing to acknowledge that I'm poor before God? I don't have anything that God needs. Jesus doesn't need me. Am I willing to acknowledge that apart from Christ, I'm captive to sin. Am I willing to acknowledge that? If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be stuck in whatever sin I ended up getting into. I'd have no way out. 
Am I willing to acknowledge that? I'm, the only reason that I'm not stuck in sin right now, that there isn't sin that just dominates my life right now, is because of Jesus. It's not because of me. It's not because of my great willpower. It's not because of my great intellect. It's not because of my great wisdom. Well, it might be. No. It's not because of these things. It's because of Jesus. That all the sins of the world, that I like to stand up and say, I'm not in that. I don't do that. How could they ever think that that would satisfy? Why am I not stuck in fornication or adultery or drunkenness or drugs? Why am I not stuck in those things? Why am I not pursuing power as an end over all things? Why don't I want to control everyone around me? Is it because of my greatness? It's because of Jesus. I don't stand above them. It's just because Jesus stands with me. Am I willing to acknowledge that? I'm not better. I'm just saved. I have been saved. Not me. Apart from Jesus, I'm blind. I don't see the truth. Am I willing to acknowledge that? This is the problem that the Jews had. They thought they were good. We talked about this in Sunday school. They thought they were good. I'm fine. I've got the law. I understand. I've, we follow the commandments. We've got this. We can earn good from God. I can merit this. That's wonderful. Is that true? No. Because you know what? Apart from Jesus, I'm blind. I need the gospel. I need it. I wouldn't be able to see truth. Why don't they see truth? I wouldn't be able to. It's not because my eyes are somehow born open. It's because of Jesus. Oppressed. Why is it that Satan doesn't have control of my life? This is for me. As I was reading through this, what does this affect me? Why is it that Satan doesn't oppress me? Why isn't he in control of Joe Faldette? Because somehow I've learned to defeat him. So if you buy this book, I've got 12 steps. This one secret trick. Don't ever click on those. Whether it's to defeat Satan or belly fat, it doesn't work. It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. And so then as we're interacting with the world, how do we interact with the world? Wouldn't it be great if we could just slap someone upside the head and say, you know what, if I could do that and they could just open their eyes, come on, why don't you just figure it out? Why don't you just grow up? Why don't you just wake up? You know what they need? Jesus. Jesus is the only way, the only reason that I'm not stuck in the same stuff they're in. So the only way to get them out of that isn't by making them Norwegian or by making them Lutheran. It's by making them Christians. They need to come to Jesus. They need to come to Jesus. It isn't about bringing them to Hosanna. It's about bringing Jesus to them. This is the world in which we live. It's not because they're so bad. You know what? It's not because our culture is so evil. It's because they don't know Jesus. They're oppressed. They're blind. You know, this is the church of Laodicea. Poor, wretched, blind, naked. 
This is the world in which we live. They need Jesus because only Jesus can clothe them. Only Jesus can open their eyes. Only Jesus can set them free from their sin. Only Jesus can do this. It's not through secular counseling. It's through Jesus. It's not by getting more money. It's by coming to Jesus. It's about Jesus. Friends, it's about Jesus in my life. It's about Jesus in your life. It's about Jesus in their lives. It's about the gospel because Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to do this. To bring this to a world that needs it. This is what we need. This is the world in which we live. The problem that the Jews were having, why did the Jews get so mad at Jesus? Because they wanted to have the gospel and be rich all at the same time. They wanted to have the gospel and be able to take credit for their own righteousness. That was their problem. I can't take credit for my righteousness. I can't say, hey, look, look at what I've done. Well, look at what God has done through me. As we joked again in Sunday school, those of you who miss out on the adult Sunday schools, you're missing out. Really. <laughs> you know that God is so powerful, he can even use me. Think about the power of God. That he can use someone with German blood to actually proclaim the gospel. <laughs> Ufta. That's not the German side. <laughs> so, this is what Jesus is bringing as the Messiah. Because. The Jewish people at this time, and this is something that we have to watch out for in our lives, that we don't become like these Jewish people. That we don't say, I've got it figured out. Well, I come to Hosanna. Well, I left the liberal church. Well, I did whatever. You know, because this story, these stories that Jesus is bringing, Jesus is saying, remember the story about Elisha and Naaman? You know, remember that? There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Wait, wait. A foreigner? Not a native? What about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath? What was Zarephath? She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. You mean it was for those who trusted Jesus? Not those who are of a certain genetic line, who are in a certain position, who live in a certain land. It wasn't for the people of the land. It wasn't just because you go to church. It's, it's not because of these things. It's not because you belong to the right church. It was for those who trusted God. Because those who trusted God, they lived it out. It became part of their lives. You know, Naaman the Syrian, how do we know he trusted God? He came. He came to be cleansed. That's why I really like this, our call, uh, yeah, our call to worship today. You know, that we would let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Why? Because God is real. God is powerful. God is able. God guides. God works. He's able to work in my life. He's able to work in your life. And believe it or not, when we bring Jesus into this world, he's able to work in this world. He's able to change a whole culture. He's done it in the past. He can do it again. 
But this is the work of Jesus. It's not the work of Joe Faldet. What is Joe Faldet called to do? To bring Jesus. Because it's God who changes people. It's God who sets them free. It's God who delivers the captives. It's God who opens the blind, the eyes of the blind. It's God who blesses because we live in a world that needs God. We live in a world that needs Jesus. And it doesn't matter who they are, where they are. If they trust Jesus, the gospel's for them. That they might trust Jesus, the gospel's for them. It doesn't matter how many sins are in their lives. It doesn't matter. Those things are secondary because Jesus is greater. God is greater. Well, Naaman, he was a Syrian. Well, the Israelites, there were lepers then. There were widows during the days of Elijah where for three years God shut up the heavens and there was no rain. How would you like that? Think about that. Three years with no rain. It's terrifying. So the people of Israel, they know these stories. The stories of Jesus were going around, they thought, hey, these are for us. So who is Jesus? Do you need Jesus? You know, this is the question. Do I need Jesus today? The people that I'm dealing with, the struggles that I have, do we need Jesus in these situations? This is reality. We need Jesus. Because Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he's saying. All spoke, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled, been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus is doing now. Jesus set free then. Jesus has set me free. He can set free a world that's in bondage. Think about that. Oh, I don't need to turn that one. I need to turn this one. But the difficulty is, can we control Jesus? Jesus says, hey, doubtless, you're going to say this to me. Physician, heal yourself. Prove it. Prove it. Augustine said, we don't see in order to believe. We believe in order to see. It's also been translated, we don't, believe, we don't understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. We don't control God. We submit to him. We don't say, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you if you, if you do this or if you do that. I'll follow you when you finally step up and give me my million dollars. I'll follow you when. I'll follow you if you, you know, make sure that things go according to the way that I want them to go. No, that's not the way it works. Because it's about, it's about trust. And within that trust is submission. You submit to the one that you trust. So do you trust Jesus? Do you submit to Jesus? Do you live in Jesus' ways? Do you bring Jesus to people who need him? Do you know that he's the one that fixes the situations? You know, it's sad because when Jesus presented these truths to the people of Israel, they, they didn't see that it was about belief. 
They missed it. They didn't see that it was about submitting to the ways of God. They tried to do things in their own way. And so, because they didn't like that, they rejected Jesus. When they heard these things in all the synagogue, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why? They didn't want Jesus. They wanted a Messiah they could control. A Messiah to come in and fix the political situation. A Messiah to come in and fix the Roman situation. A Messiah to come in and elevate the Jewish people to the power of the world. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to acknowledge that, you know what, it's, it's our fault. We haven't been bringing the Messiah to the world that needs it. So they rejected Jesus because he didn't do what they wanted in the way that they wanted it. Oh, man. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't have COVID. No, no worries. They rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Passing through their midst, he went away. What happens when we reject Jesus? That last verse, man, that's, that's terrifying. Jesus left. Jesus left. What happens if I reject Jesus? Friends, let's not reject Jesus. Let's acknowledge, you know what? I need him. I need him. Without him, I am poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. I'm under the Lord's wrath, not under his favor. Apart from Jesus, that's me. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Don't say, you know what, I'm good. I can figure this out. We need Jesus. I mean, it's at this point you're almost kind of talking about this is where the Lord's kind of picking you up to. He's carrying you until you find your way. Zooming in a little bit on that. Well, the reality is that we, yes, we do have responsibility in all of these things, and we are called to strive and to, to, how be a way to put it, to input energy into the system that God has made, but at the same time. The only way that we can do it properly is with the Lord being our Lord, being our guide, doing it according to his way. If I do these things according to my ways, it's going to fail. I'm going to fail because apart from Jesus, I'm blind. So how can I see to do the right thing? And so he does carry us, but he also empowers us. And so it's not until I can walk on my own, it's until I learn that, his, that he's the one that gives me the strength to walk. But he's the one that gives me the wisdom where to walk, where to step, how to walk. And all these things are his. You know, the skills, the opportunities, the strength you even have to walk. How, where does that come from? Is it yours? No, this is a gift from God. How do I know? Well, this, this is what Jesus is talking about. You know, it's like 
It's like the person that, that loses a limb. They'll have a phantom limb. You know, they'll think they feel something, but it, it, there's nothing. They can't do anything with it. You know, and so also that's, that's the person that doesn't have Jesus. Powerless. I have a friend that became a paraplegic. I had quadra in my head, but paraplegic. And he said it's almost like he can almost feel his feet. He can almost feel his legs, but he can't. Because there's no life there. And so that's our souls. It's like we're almost there. But apart from the life of Christ, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, we can't. We fail. We fall. And so, does that make sense? Because it, that's where I carried you. You know, I only saw one foot of, set of footprints. That's where I carried you. How did you get through that? Because God brought me through. But that doesn't mean that God isn't bringing me through all situations. Because the only reason that we don't see all situations in the same way is because we're not looking. Yeah, so. Any other questions? Okay, Jim. Yeah. Interesting, I guess, for me too, is they want him to show them a miracle. They want to see the miracle. So he performs one. He walks right through the middle of this angry mob that wants to throw him off. You know, off the hill, he, he performs a miracle that doesn't make any difference. They get, they're more angry. Because <laughs> they didn't get the miracle they wanted. Right. They weren't in control. Because, yeah. Yeah. They want to be affirmed. I want God to tell me, hey, Joe, you're good. I'm... But that's, it, yeah, it's not, yeah. Jesus performed a miracle, but it wasn't one they wanted. And so they rejected it. Any other questions or comments? Eileen? No, don't be sorry. James, make sure that you're hearing these things. It's like God is the one that saves people, and our job is to bring people um, Jesus, you know, in a sense. But when they reject him, like he walks away and there isn't any more opportunity. So does that mean there are people alive or is that that don't have any more options left like they've rejected him and that's it or is that saying that a person then dies and there isn't any option left good question so there's a couple of things we can't make that judgment and so we don't, we don't condemn. We never look at someone. And I can never look at someone and say, you know what? They've rejected Jesus three times so far. So that means that they're done. No. I, I don't know. Statistically speaking, a person has to hear, the, uh, an American, a Westerner, needs to hear the gospel seven times, approximately, you know, statistically speaking, before they believe the gospel. For a Muslim, they have to hear the gospel. I'll probably get kicked off of YouTube for this. They have to hear the gospel 50 times before they believe in Jesus. And so, who, and that's statistics. You know, there's some that hear them once. So think about some of these other ones. They're hearing, they're hearing about Jesus 100 times. And finally, they, they come to understand. And so I can, my job is to bring the gospel to them. And then whether they reject or not, that's on them. I can't look at someone. I have no way of knowing 
You know, because how many deathbed conversions do we hear about? We never know. And so we always hope. Hope springs eternal. You know, and so we always hope that this time when I bring Jesus to this person, that they're going to accept, that they're going to see, that their eyes are going to be opened. And so that, that's, that's the hope. And so we always bring Jesus. You know, does that mean that we throw our pearls before swine? Well, no, sometimes we have to, if I'm bringing the gospel here and I keep being rejected, well, maybe it's time for me to go over here. It's time for me to interact with these people. You know, Jesus was rejected in Illinois, maybe it's time to come to Minnesota. <laughs> um, we need Jesus. <laughs> you ask the question, why do we come to Minnesota? It's like, well, because we need people to fight here too. So, you know, we need Jesus here. So yeah, that, is it possible? I, I suppose that it is possible that God has said, kind of like Pharaoh, you're done. You're done. But how could we ever know that from the outside? We can't. And so that's why we never say, you know what, Jesus, I'm good. I'll come to you later. I had a friend that said that. He's like, I got this Christian thing figured out. I can live my life however I want to live it. And when I'm on my deathbed, I'll just ask God to forgive me. No, I'll be fine. It's like, it doesn't work that way. He was from North Dakota. So, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's true, because you never know, maybe I needed to be here for this point. Just because I move on doesn't mean God moves on, because I might have needed to be there for the initial times, and then God wanted to bring someone else in. You know, Paul sowed, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know, and so that's, that's the reality. And so I can entrust the people that I've shared the gospel with that have rejected me, I need to entrust them to God and say, okay, God, they're, they're yours now. I don't have, I can't interact with them anymore. They've moved out of my life for one reason or another. You need to work. But sometimes God does move on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's why we, that's why we fear. You know, because God will move on. And that, you know, why did... Why was Jerusalem destroyed? God said, you guys are under punishment now. Yeah. And yeah. No, it's, we never say, I'll do it tomorrow. Deal with our sins today. We deal with our sins today. And those we interact with, we encourage them, deal with your sins today. There was, uh, D.L. Moody? I think it was D.L. Moody that, was preaching in Chicago the night before the Great Chicago Fire. And he didn't close with a call to accept Jesus. And that night, the Great Chicago Fire happened. And he, at that time, you know, many people died. And he said, I will never end a sermon without telling people, if you want to come to Jesus, come up and pray. You know, he always gave an invitation at every sermon thereafter. Because he said, you never know. You never know. You never know what hour will be our last. And so, yeah. Any other questions or comments? Well, you guys are talkative today. Happens when we have a full church. 
So the Lord is calling us to acknowledge in our own hearts, to commit ourselves to the Lord, to say, Lord, I need you. Like Lindy was talking about earlier, to sacrifice our pride. Because what is this? For me to say, <laughs> I'm not poor. I'm not, I'm not prone to be captive. Well, that would be my pride. Set that aside and say, Lord, I need you. I have nothing apart from you. No wisdom, no grace. No sight, no power. Apart from you, I'm lost. Poor, wretched, pitiable, blind, and naked. That's me. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So what do I have to be proud of? Amen. If you haven't done that, thank Jesus. And it's in his hands. Ask him, Lord, open my eyes. Open my heart. Forgive me. I'm yours. If you'd like to talk about this after the service, come talk to me. We've got time. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to us, to me. Lord, I don't. My eyes aren't open apart from you. My sins aren't forgiven apart from you. I'm captive apart from you. I'm oppressed apart from you. And so I thank you that you have set us free. In Jesus, we have freedom, we have sight, we have liberty. Lord, thank you. We have the good news. Thank you. Bless us now. May we walk in these truths. May we not harden our hearts against you. Say we're good. We don't need you. Lord, we need you. We need you. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Jesus' name. Amen.